We're officially a quarter of the way through the 2022 season, and the NFC West is dead even with all four teams at 2-2. Two and two. What's next for the Cardinals, Rams, 49ers, and Seahawks? Going to be taking a look at their upcoming schedule and where all four teams stand in our upcoming episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always for Tell the Truth Tuesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. As always, thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a loaded Tuesday episode coming your way. Going to take a look at the NFC West, where all four teams are in a four-way tie for first place in the division. It's dead even after a quarter of the season. Plus, our Tell the, tu- Tell the Truth Tuesday takeaways, our final looks at Sunday's win over the Detroit Lions. And we're going to close out the show taking a look at what's new with the New Orleans Saints, Seattle's upcoming Week five opponent. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We're officially a quarter of the way through the season. I know with 17 games on the schedule, it's not quite an even 25%, but we're going to say we're a quarter of the way through the season. First four games in the books and no division is tighter than the NFC West right now. All four teams after the 49ers beat the Rams on Monday night football last night are tied at two and two records. The 49ers considered in first place if the playoffs started today because they've won two games within the division. The Seahawks would actually be in last place in the NFC West because, unfortunately, they lost their only divisional game so far, and they also lost an in-conference matchup with the Atlanta Falcons. Rob, you look at this division right now. Again, everybody at two and two. It really doesn't feel like anybody has created separation here. I know the 49ers have had a few impressive wins, but they've also had a couple really rough losses. The Seahawks are very much in the thick of things with the Rams not looking like the team that won it all last year and the Cardinals really struggling most of the season so far. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that to me is the coolest point about this. I mean, I think that anybody who watched the Seahawks against the Lions this this past weekend and saw just how excited that Pete Carroll was with that victory. I mean, this is Pete Carroll. I mean, he is a defensive-minded coach. You give up 45 points, you're not going to be expecting uh, him to be that excited. But I think that he recognizes just how big of a victory that that was. You can build some momentum off of that. As you just mentioned, every team in the NFC West is tied at 2-2. and um, And and of course, the Seahawks have the bulk of their, uh, you know, inner division games still on their on the you know in the future. And so I think that this kind of sets up very nicely for the Seahawks because they do have a winnable schedule moving forward. Um, and uh, again, every other team in the NFC West, including the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, have shown kind of that Achilles heel so far. Um, and the Seahawks are a young team, a team that not a lot of people are kind of expecting much out of. And that is exactly the type of MO that Pete Carroll has been able to rally and have them improve as the season moves on. 
You look at this division as a whole, the Rams certainly have looked vulnerable, especially because their offensive line is banged up. They are not protecting Matthew Stafford. His elbow, I don't know if that's an issue or not, but he doesn't look anything like he did last year. He's already thrown six interceptions. The Cardinals have infighting. We saw Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray going at it the other day on the sideline. They have gotten off to really slow starts pretty much every week. Now, they were playing the Panthers this past weekend, they were able to right the ship in the second half and get the victory, but they certainly don't look like a playoff team right now. The 49ers, like I said, they've been very up and down, were really impressive when they beat the Seahawks in week two, had a really nice win against the Rams last night, but they've also lost two games that you're just sitting there shaking your head like, how did they lose these games? And so that is a team that nobody can really figure out. The Seahawks are coming off an impressive win in Detroit. They had the Falcons on the ropes. They couldn't finish that game off. That may be a game that comes back to bite them later this season. But you could make the argument for the 49ers that Bears game in week one might be the same for them. This division just hasn't looked near as dominant as what it has in recent seasons. I expect that it's still going to be one of the toughest divisions when it's all said and done. But all four of these teams have some major flaws that they've got to address. And you can see that on our power rankings here. Somehow, you look at this list, the 49ers coming in at number nine, the Rams dropping from eight to 12. So you can see how this division is viewed by the rest of the talking heads out there in the Locked On Football Network. It is not a division that's necessarily looked at as near as strong as it has been in the past. You've got the Seahawks coming in at number 24. You've got the Cardinals at 14, the Rams at 12 and the 49ers coming in at number nine. So no teams in the top five. Last year, there were times where we had two different teams from the NFC West that were in the top five. And so not quite as strong of a start as expected. And looking at the playoff race in general right now, the Philadelphia Eagles with the number one seed, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. The 49ers, by default of their win in the F their two wins in the NFC West, they are the number four seed, and they would lead the NFC West division. The Buccaneers and Vikings being the other two leaders. The Seahawks are on the outside looking in right now. They would be considered the 11th seed behind the Atlanta Falcons who beat them head-to-head. -head. So that's certainly something that they've got to figure out moving forward. But nonetheless, they're coming off that impressive win. And so looking at the upcoming schedule, Rob and I are going to get to this here in a moment. Rob's trying to get some technical difficulties taken care of here on the show we'll get him back on here in a moment from an upcoming schedule standpoint we've got the new orleans saints seahawks will be playing them on the road philadelphia eagles will be traveling to arizona the cowboys will be traveling to la to face the rams the cowboys have won three straight with cooper rush at quarterback and the 49ers they're going to try to avoid a letdown going to Carolina to face the one and three Panthers who have not looked good at all to start the season. But those have kind of been trap games that the 49ers have struggled with this year. Looking at this schedule, Rob, welcome back to the show, by the way. <laughs> but Rob, looking at this schedule, it looks like all four teams have several really difficult games. At the same time, though, I think compared to some of the other teams in the division, the Seahawks might have a bit more of a winnable slate compared to their division counterparts. 
Oh, I certainly think that's possible. I, I also think that this very first game against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans is a big one. Um, and then as we talked about, the, the way that the Cardinals play uh, has been as up and down as any team in all of the NFL. So I think that there is a scenario in which the, the Seahawks can you know potentially go 5-0 and this next uh, five games. I also see a scenario in which they can go 0-5. And that is what's going to be really fascinating here. And I think that there is reason to be excited about what's happening with Seattle's defense. While they have been giving up yardage in chunks, at the same time you are seeing some splashy plays from the rookies. You're seeing splashy plays from their biggest free agent addition Chenna Nuosu. And you have to think that some of the longer term Seahawks are going to kind of, I don't want to say wake up, but certainly start to rise to the occasion a little bit more. And that's not because I'm trying to wear the, the blue and green glasses uh, of a Seahawk fan or a Seahawk, you know, somebody who follows the Seahawks, I think it's just looking at Pete Carroll's history and what has act was happened year after year with this club. So I agree with you, Corey, but I think that there is a scenario in which Seattle might just be getting warmed up and might be ready to take off the way that they have so many times in Pete Carroll's past. Looking at this schedule one more time, I do want to point this out. The Chargers are not going to have Joey Bosa, which that to me is a big deal for the Seahawks to keep him away from Geno Smith. The pass protection has been pretty good to begin with. You're still going to have to deal with Khalil Mack. So it's not like the Chargers don't have pass rushers, but not having to deal with both of them, that is a big win for the Seahawks. The Giants are 3-1. and one. They're a great story so far. Brian Dable is doing a great job with that team, but that is still a team playing in Seattle that – I think is very beatable, especially with their quarterback situation. And the way the Cardinals have been playing, they'll score a lot of points the way the Seahawks defense has been at the same time, though. Pete Carroll has seemed to figure things out against them the last couple of times these two teams have been matched up and done a better job bottling up Kyler Murray. So I think that both those games are certainly winnable. They've done really well in Glendale. They ended up getting a win against him at home recently. That has been a struggle for them. So I think that this is a schedule that shapes up pretty well. I look at the Rams schedule. you got to play at Tampa Bay. You've got a rematch with the 49ers. The Cowboys come into town. Dallas is playing really good football, even without Dak Prescott. And then the Cardinals, all they got to do is host the undefeated Eagles coming up this next weekend. And they've got a game on the road in Minnesota against the Vikings, the Saints at home. I mean, there's not an easy schedule here for any of these teams in the NFC West. But I, I think that the Seahawks, when you look at their opponents, where they're going to be playing teams, aside from having to play in New Orleans, it feels like there is an opportunity here, especially with how the rest of the division is playing to this point, that they can come out of this five-game stretch and very much be in the hunt to make the playoffs or even compete for a division championship at the same time, as you mentioned, you know, if things start going South, the defense keep playing poorly and the offense can't keep up the way that they did this past game in Detroit, they could lose four or five of those games. And now we're starting to look at top five picks and who's going to be the quarterback of the future of the Seahawks. So there's a lot riding on these next five games. We're going to look back at Seattle's win on Sunday over the lions coming up next, our final peak before we move on to week five, on Tell the Truth Tuesday, dishing out some takes on offense, defense, and special teams. We'll get to that here in a moment. Before we jump into our Tuesday takeaways, I want to talk to you about a product that my wife and I use literally every day. We started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because we wanted an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health, and we found it with one delicious scoop out of this green canister of AG1. We and you as well could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. 
This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle friendly. We drink it first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. We've experienced better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Greens doesn't just make it easy to get healthy. It is easy to get too. That's because Athletic Greens is going to give a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tell the Truth Tuesday. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We apologize for the technical issues that we're having here on this live show. And hopefully, Rob will be here to stay for the next two quarters. We won't have any more issues here. Thanks, as always, all the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out our episode coming up tomorrow. As usual, Matchup Wednesday, we'll be diving into all the key matchups. Seahawks at Saints, including... The much-anticipated rematch, DK Metcalf against Marshawn Lattimore. Get your popcorn and boxing gloves ready when those two get ready to duel in New Orleans. And don't forget tomorrow that we will be – or make sure to check out our NFL key predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday and Monday night football plus betting advice from the field's leading experts bet online. Follow NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked on NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday, our last chance to look back at Seattle's 48-45 shootout win over the Detroit Lions on Sunday. Rob, I'm going to kick it right over to you while we've still got you here on the show. Yeah, exactly. What's your first major takeaway here? for Tell the Truth Tuesday, looking back one last time at Seattle's big win in Detroit? Well, you know, I, I think there's a lot of takeaways you can have, but I think one of the very initial ones that, that I had is just how well Seattle's pass protection was. Um, you know, it was one of the biggest concerns I had, you, considering the fact that uh, the Detroit Lions, of course, were going to be at home. We saw that the noise issues really was an issue for the Seahawks. They, you know, one of the cr few criticisms I would have of, of Geno Smith is the fact that uh, he did have a delay of game. Um, he did often have uh, the, the play play clock basically wind way down, and I thought that that would be a concern. But at the same time, considering the fact that Seattle did not allow a single sack, that, that Charles Cross and uh, and Abe Lucas both had one-on-one -on -one reps against the former number two overall selection, Aiden Hutchinson, a player that I was really trumpeting and really thought that he might be able to have a splashy performance against the Seahawks. They, they shut him down. And it wasn't just the two rookie tackles. It was the guards coming over to chip in. It was the running backs, especially Rashad Penny, who had struggled previously in pass protection. He had a terrific game. It was the tight ends coming in and chipping in. It was the play calling. Shane Walter did a terrific job getting Geno Smith out there uh, on bootlegs and rollouts, really for changing the pocket and, uh, you know, 
forcing the Detroit Lions pass rush to kind of adjust where they were going. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, Geno Smith was just absolutely brilliant in this game. He made very quick decisions, whether it be running the ball or throwing the ball. He helped his offensive line. So I really think the pass protection just in general was as good as the Seahawks have had in a long, long time. I don't know that it's necessarily the best of this decade, but it certainly was the best of this season so far. And again, considering that you're, you're starting two rookie tackles, that is a heck of a testament to a lot of people on the Seahawks staff. Yeah, really the entire offensive line played great in this football game. And you and I have been harping on the struggles of the interior offensive line. But both guards and center Austin Blythe did a really good job in this game, limiting pressures. I counted just seven pressures when I was watching the film. Two quarterback hits and both of them, Geno Smith was able to complete passes downfield. One of them a first down to Metcalf, the other one a 34-yarder to Tyler Lockett. So maybe not the best game of the decade, but it's on that short list when you look at the numbers. This offensive line was fantastic in pass protection for me, I'm going to give a shout out to a player that you mentioned a little bit yesterday that maybe he's going a little under the radar with the numbers he's putting up. But Will Disley, he has earned every penny of that new extension that Seahawks gave in this offseason. And, and you and I both talked about it. Three years, $24 million. We were kind of wondering why that kind of money for a player that's had an injury history that, quite frankly, the last two years has not been very involved in Seattle's passing offense but it's starting to look more and more like it was maybe a situation with the quarterback here because Geno Smith is getting all of these tight ends involved. Shane Waldron wanted that with his scheme coming over from the Rams. You know he's going to run a lot of two and three tight end sets, get them involved in the passing game. They've caught the majority of Geno Smith's six touchdowns so far. In fact, I think five of the six have went to tight ends. Three of those have gone to Disley. And just to tell you, Rob, how efficient – this guy has been so far. He's the only tight in the NFL with 10 or more receptions that has not had a missed target. He's 12 for 12. And you can give Geno Smith a lot of credit there too. He's getting the football to his tight end. But some of the catches that Will Disley has made have been really impressive. That touchdown that he had on Sunday, let's not, you know, let's not trick ourselves. Will Disley is not an elite, he's not a great, maybe not even a good athlete at the tight end position compared to a lot of guys in the league. And yet on plays like that, when he's going after the football and he's adjusting his body midair, he looks like a phenomenal athlete. He's just really good at tracking the football, putting himself in positions to make plays. He's got really soft hands, as evidenced by the fact he's 12 for 12 this year. He's caught everything that Geno Smith has thrown at him. He's been a key part of their run game. He's still getting after it in the trenches, which is a big reason why He's worth more maybe than a lot of people anticipated with that contract. He just brings so much to the table. And it's nice to see him finally getting involved again with this passing game. We know what he did his first two years before he got hurt. He was one of Russell Wilson's favorite targets. And then that just was not there the last two years. The chemistry between those two is gone. It's really awesome to see him back in form and getting opportunities to make a difference in the passing game. Oh, it absolutely is. And I, I can think of so many plays when Russell Wilson would throw the ball to Will Disley, where Disley was wide open. I mean, it was basically just pitch and catch kind of stuff. Disley has been well covered. Geno Smith is just throwing dimes. And that's the thing that would be one of my second takeaways, uh, you know, until the truth Tuesday is just really 
going back and watching the game again, I mean, oh my goodness, Corbin, Geno Smith was throwing such perfect passes. I mean, the, the, the touchdown to Disley could not have been thrown better. I mean, Disley basically had to raise his arms to his helmet and the ball would have hit him in the dome if he hadn't caught the ball. I mean, the, the same thing with Noah Fan. It was a terrific play where they faked inside. Uh, Geno Smith had a possible option if he really wanted to squeeze the ball in there. He kind does a little quick shoulder pit, uh, shoulder pump and then throws the ball to a wide open Noah fan. I mean, that's the kind of small stuff that really good quarterbacks make. And I don't know that we've seen enough from Geno Smith in his past starting opportunities to expect this, but he was spectacular against Detroit. And then, oh, by the way, Rashad Penny, who led all NFL running backs in rushing yards this past weekend, was even, even better when I watched it the second time. And it's not just the runs. It, it was, as I mentioned before, it was his pass protection. It was the fact that he was a more reliable receiver out of the backfield. He got himself open. And this isn't a Detroit Lions linebacking core that's terrible. Malcolm Rodriguez was a sixth-round pick, but still, he was one of the best players on the field for the Lions. Uh, and, and certainly, Alec Anzalone was, is a good quality player as well had previously started ironically enough against Seattle's next opponent the New Orleans Saints so the fact that Penny was as impressive as he was the fact that the Seahawks knew that they could rely on him and he came through in the fourth quarter when the Lions give him a lot of credit they came back in this game and Penny ended it for them because of his breakaway ability that we talked about in during yesterday's show. I was surprised in watching it the second time that both of those two players actually were better the second time around. But I think that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks are two and two and feeling pretty good about their chances moving forward. Like I said yesterday, Rashad Penny, he was the executioner in Sunday's game. He put all the finishing touches drilled in the dagger on that final touchdown and the Lions came back and made it a three-point game again but they just ran out of time Rashad Penny made sure of that by punching it in two long touchdown runs and I'm with you watching the tape they were even better than what I thought they were playing on Sunday live which I was pretty impressed when I saw from both of them in person real time in that game I'm going to go to the defensive side of the football now and this is something I touched on briefly yesterday the question was about linebacker depth but to me this is just being honest with what I have seen these first couple games. I don't think Josh Jones is the answer at strong safety as a full-time every-down player. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think that Ryan Neal is either. And this isn't to say that these two guys can't help the Seahawks. I think they are both good situational sub-package players as third safeties, which would be a good fit. If Jamal Adams was healthy, then they could absolutely do that. But I think Landon Collins should be on the next flight to Seattle. As far as I know, he had his workout with the Giants, but he has not signed a contract. I would be on the phone. I would be figuring out what do we have to do to get Landon Collins out here? Because right now, Rob, Josh Jones is 58 out of 61 qualified safeties in the NFL for PFF grades. He has the second most missed tackles. He's fourth worst with a 28.1% missed tackle rate quarterback rating of 132 against him he's given up the most yardage in coverage of any safety in the NFL Landon Collins isn't necessarily going to fix that for you that is not a strength in his game but they want a safety that can play like a linebacker similar to what Jamal Adams did and Landon Collins was still very good at that last year he had an 80 plus grade as a run defender he had six pressures and two sacks on just 31 blitzes as a pass rusher this is a guy that's had nearly 
half a dozen sacks in a season before in his career. He can do a lot of the things Jamal Adams does, not quite as well, but he can do some of those things that they built this scheme for. And so I like Ryan Neal. I like Josh Jones. I think they are both capable safeties in situational packages. I don't think either one of the, either one of them are long-term answers for a full season. So get Landon Collins and your guy that has started a ton of games, has pedigree coming from Alabama. And I think that you can transform this defense with that move, putting a guy in that isn't quite Jamal Adams, but can do a lot of the same things and fits this scheme well. He does fit the scheme well. If he's healthy, I think that that move makes an awful lot of sense. I have my concerns about how healthy that he might be considering that he has been as productive that the new york giants is obviously an nfc east opponent of washington is going to know him very well and the fact that they didn't sign him is again a little bit of a red flag to me but again you, you make an excellent point about how well he would fit in with what seattle had basically tailored that job to be for jamal adams I think that when you look at the safety play, look at the linebacker play, and that would be one of my, my last Tuesday takeaway here, is I was just very concerned with how much Seattle struggled to cover up against TJ Hawkinson specifically. Um, you know, because I didn't think that this was quite as much of a of a story about the missed tackles as I was just some blind spots in, in coverage. Uh, you know, and, and I saw the Seahawks basically line up just about everybody except Pete Carroll himself to try and slow down T.J. Hawkinson. The, that incredible interception from Tariq Wool in the pick six, that was against T.J. Hawkinson. Josh Jones had a, a nice breakup against T.J. Hawkinson. Sidney Jones also was out there playing coverage against him. Certainly Kobe Martin, certainly Jordan Brooks. They had multiple opportunities uh, against him. You know, the Seahawks tried just about everything they could to slow down TJ Hawkinson, and they were unable to do so consistently. Um, as I mentioned before, with Penny and in leading the NFL's running backs and rushing yards, Hawkinson was easily the most productive tight end. Uh, and that, of course, has been kind of a broken record against the Seahawks. They, they have struggled with tight ends, and that to me is one of the most exciting things is the fact that they are basically saying, hey, if we can't cover them, let's try and bring our own tight ends and make them a force for offense. To me, one of the most exciting things about it is the fact that Seattle is trying different options here. And so whether it be Josh Jones, whether it be Ryan Neal, whether it be somebody they bring in, uh, you know, on, on the free agent market at this point, Seattle's going to be facing a lot of really talented tight ends moving forward. Tyler Higby of the Los Angeles Rams, as we mentioned before, I mean, he is really taking the league by storm a little bit right now. He's basically been the number two option for the Rams behind Cooper Cup. And of course, you have the Saints coming up next. Taysom Hill is dynamic. So this is something they have to address quickly. I just... I wanted to watch the second. I wanted to watch on my second uh, chance of watching this game and say, "Oh, if this is one player, you fix this one player, you fix this one issue, and suddenly the whole thing is fixed." That that was not the case at all. Seattle tried multiple different options, and so because those options weren't consistently effective, I really think that this is a time. This is a coaching opportunity. You've got to kind of develop a little bit more communication. There was times where I saw Seattle's linebackers basically playing man coverage and the defensive backs, defensive backs, excuse me, playing zone coverage or vice versa. That's the stuff that has to get ironed out. And that's the stuff that unfortunately is going to take some time because you do have so many young new faces on defense. You mentioned coaching opportunities. Larry Izzo on special teams. He's going to face a challenge in his own right here 
at least the next three or four weeks. Because first you lost Travis Homer, who is the best special teams player the Seahawks have, aside from Michael Dixon. We're talking, you know, kick coverage, punt coverage, stuff like that. He is clearly their best player. And then you lose Daryl Johnson. He has not been placed into reserve yet, but I expect that that move is going to be coming, coming here in the next day or two. And probably LJ Collier replacing him on the roster coming off injured reserve. But Collier is not going to play special teams. He's not going to be running down and covering kicks like Daryl Johnson does. And Daryl Johnson's really good at it. He has a 73.1 special teams grade on PFF. That's 40th out of 200 players. And some of you might be thinking, oh, he's only got one tackle on special teams. But if you've been paying close attention, I can't tell you how many times that this 260-pound wrecking ball has blown up blockers to allow his teammates to fly in and make tackles on special teams. He just brings a unique physicality to kick and punt coverage teams that they are now going to be missing for at least four games. And oh, by the way, he also started last week in place of Daryl Taylor because Taylor's been disappointing and they wanted more physicality off the edge. So this is really a double-edged sword. You're losing a guy that might play a lot of snaps on defense for you because you need an edge setter, and you also lose one of your best special teams player, a guy that was claimed off waivers. That's how important he's been to the Seahawks, though, these first four games. And so you have no Homer, you have no Johnson, and this is already a team that had some youth and depth questions with special teams that was very evident in the preseason. Now you got to wonder how many more hits can they take before special teams really becomes a problem. They've been up and down this year, and so I think that that's something that is worth watching as we head into the fifth game of the season. The Saints have some pretty darn good players on special teams, so that might be a real difference maker heading into this road matchup. Speaking of the Saints, what's new with New Orleans? We're going to get to that here in a moment, checking out additions, departures, injuries, and of course, Rob's favorite part of the week, looking at the draft class for Seattle's upcoming opponent here in week five. We're going to get to that here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports and wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf, make sure to head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday here on Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks will be on the road Eastern time zone for the second straight week, taking on the New Orleans Saints. And New Orleans is off to a kind of rough start at one and three, Rob. This is a team that has a very solid defense, but they have lost some key players on that side of the ball. They've had injuries on offense, including Jameis Winston missing the last game. He's dealing with a back issue. Who knows if he's going to be able to play this game. And this is a roster that's had a lot of changes from last year to this season, including with their coaching staff. 
Yeah, you got Dennis Allen taking over as the head coach now, defensive-minded head coach, very, very different than Sean Payton, one of the best play callers, play designers, Super Bowl winner with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, of course, it's only a couple of years ago that the that the, the Saints lost one of the greatest statistically and otherwise quarterbacks of all time uh, in Drew Brees, made that transition to Jameis Winston, who good there's good Jameis and there's bad Jameis. And as you mentioned, Corbin, of course, he missed this past game, a loss to the Vikings uh, in London when they had the, you know, the, the red rifle, as a lot of people like to call him Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback. But that wasn't the only player that the Saints were missing. They were also missing their dynamic running back. Alvin Kamara was out of that game. Michael Thomas, the wide receiver, missed yet another game uh, for the New Orleans Saints. Should they get those players back, then this is a completely different New Orleans Saints team. And, you know, of course, we're recording this on Tuesday. It remains to be seen if those players are going to be available for the Saints. Uh, but those would be some of the players that, while they're not necessarily new additions, they would be new additions for the Saints if they were able to play against Seattle after not being able to play against Minnesota. Speaking of new additions, to me, that's, that's one of the interesting things about this team is the fact that they did have a pretty darn good defense a year ago, and yet they brought in another guy from that New Orleans area, L former LSU superstar in Tyron Matthew. And that, to me, is one of the interesting facets of this game is because we just got finished talking about how well that Seattle was running the football with Rashad Penny. They were getting their tight ends involved. You bring the Honey Badger in, and, and suddenly that uh, an area of strength for the Seahawks could be an area that basically gets eliminated against New Orleans. And again, as we mentioned, Seattle did a terrific job in pass protection. They did a really nice job of being able to handle the noise for the most part. Well, Detroit is nothing like New Orleans uh, in terms of the noise that is going to be generated. So to me, this is one of those really put up or shut up type of games. I think this is going to be one of those games that's really going to dictate how well the Seahawks do moving forward, because if they're able to win this game, then they're going to prove some of the biggest critics, myself included, prove them wrong or prove us wrong, myself wrong, because I don't know that Seattle is able to handle the noise, the physicality that a relatively healthy New Orleans team might be able to offer against Seattle. Yeah, this is a whole different animal. This is on par with being a road team coming into Lumen Field and having Russell Wilson at quarterback. I mean, that's New Orleans Saints fans every single time that they report to the Dome. This is one of the loudest fan bases in professional sports. And so, Good luck calling audibles, and I know that the Seahawks were able to do it in Detroit, but it's just a whole different level when you go down to New Orleans with these rabid fans that are going to descend upon the Dome there. And certainly that is going to be a topic that we're going to be discussing. I think you could argue that that maybe is a matchup in itself for matchup Wednesday, Seahawks versus the fans, because it's just one of those very unique fan bases out there that is going to bring it game in, game out, and they're very difficult to beat in New Orleans. You mentioned the Honey Badger Marcus May was also added to this secondary as well. They've had a lot of changes in that secondary because Marcus Williams, one of the better young safeties in football, signed with the Ravens in free agency. That was a big loss. But going out and getting Matthew and Marcus May certainly helps replace Williams and C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who they traded away to the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's having a strong start in Philadelphia for the undefeated Eagles. So, they had some big names in the secondary they had to replace. Teron Armstead left for the Dolphins in free agency. 
it feels like that has been a much tougher loss for them to try to replace along their offensive line and protecting the quarterback has been an issue. Quan Alexander didn't play a lot for the Saints and he's had some injuries, but another notable guy that played as a starter for them. And they've had some injuries. You mentioned Kamara and Michael Thomas, Trevor Penning, their other first round pick out of Northern Iowa. He's on injury reserve and he's a player we talked about a lot in the pre-draft process because there were a lot of reports out there that the Seahawks were interested in him. They ended up taking Charles Cross at number nine overall, and then Penning went to the Saints a few picks later, and he was certainly impressing them, but they're going to have to wait a while till they get him back. He will not be suiting up in this game. The Saints' other first-round pick, though, I think that's maybe the biggest talking point here. Chris Olave out of Ohio State has been one of the top rookies in the NFL so far. He had a outstanding performance a couple weeks ago against the Panthers almost got to 150 receiving yards in that game he only has one touchdown so far but almost 350 receiving yards in his first four NFL games he looks very much the part of a top 15 pick and a potential future superstar alongside Michael Thomas in this receiving core yeah exactly Olave is the the rookie of of the Saints uh you know draft class that you really have to focus in on because he has been dynamic you know he there's been so many incredible wide receivers that have come through Ohio State the Seahawks drafted one of the most dynamic of them in Joey Galloway all those years ago but of all of them Chris Olave left Columbus with the most touchdowns ever by a Buckeyes wide receiver and you can just see that savvy you can see the athletic ability our already in the NFL. And that again is with Andy Dalton being the primary quarterback here these last couple of weeks. And Jameis Winston throws as pretty of a deep ball as you are ever going to see. And that is where Alave is at his best. Now, the defending the deep ball has been a relative strength for the Seahawks for a long time. And I certainly expect that to be the case because I think that Tariq Woolen is likely to be matched up against him. And Quandre Diggs is spectacular in defending the deep pass as well. But at the same time, this is the type of matchup that really has got to be a little bit disconcerting for the Seahawks, especially if the Saints are able to get Michael Thomas back. Uh, that, that just kind of changes the whole offense for the Saints. So th there have been some interesting additions for New Orleans. A as you mentioned, they they you know made the big move to trade up to get Trevor Penning as well. And that's the danger there. If you're going to use two first round picks, uh, you know, on guys that you're going to basically invest all those extra picks to move back up into the first round. Um, then if the player gets hurt the way that Trevor Penning does uh, or did, excuse me, then, then that's the, the risk here. Um, and so, that is going to be something that Seattle has to take full advantage of. Whether it be Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton, neither one of them are particularly mobile quarterbacks. The pass rush that was fairly non-existent against Detroit Lions. And Seattle is able to, to sack Jared Goff, who also is not the most mobile of guys. They only got him once. Um, and so you're going to have to be more effective in that regard against the New Orleans Saints. Otherwise, I think that this could be a matchup that the Saints are able to take advantage of. I don't think the Saints offensive line, at least in the tackle positions, though, is as good as what Detroit's is. And so maybe that's something that ends up working into Seattle's favor in this game. And really, that is the perfect segue into our Wednesday show, because we're going to be diving into the matchups as we always do each week. And you've got DK Metcalf going against Marshawn Lattimore. You've got Seattle's running backs going against a front seven that has been really stout last year when the Saints came to Seattle and won that low scoring affair 
The Seahawks could not run the football to save their lives. They're going to try to get that rolling so they have a balanced offense. But there are a lot of really intriguing matchups going to this game. A lot of talented players on both squads. And really, this is one of the road games that I've really been looking forward to. And at the same time, it's kind of a danger zone game for the Seahawks because you're playing in New Orleans, one of the toughest road environments in the NFL. We're going to get to that on tomorrow's episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow with our weekly Matchup Wednesday. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.